Well, last week, if you remember, Luke chapter 11, we were in just a, a few short verses, just verse 33 through 36. And there in that passage, as Jesus is, is speaking to the crowds, remember the crowds had gathered around as Jesus had healed a man, and he's beginning to teach to them, and he, he makes a comment to them. He, he says something that is, is interesting, maybe even a little hard to understand. He, he tells them, be careful. Be careful that the light in you doesn't become darkness. And so Jesus says this thing. He, he warns them about this dynamic. And what he was talking about was really what was going on with the, the religious leaders. The religious leaders who were there as well and who were standing in opposition against Jesus. And Jesus is saying is, be careful. Don't follow the path that these religious leaders have followed because they were pursuing holiness, but they were pursuing holiness in a way that, well, was wicked. And, and they, were seeking, they were seeking after God, and, and they really were. These were the guys who, who were taking God's word seriously and were really wanting to, to do what God was saying, and yet the way that they were seeking after God was actually separating them from God, keeping them from drawing close to him. They were trying to do what was right. They wanted to do what was right. But the way they were doing it was completely wrong. So Jesus tells the crowd, look out. Look out, don't be like the religious leaders. Be careful lest the light in you become darkness. Now, in our passage this morning, Jesus doesn't really move on from that. Uh, really what he does is he begins to expound upon it, to explain it. And he, he more or less, well, not more or less, he rather bluntly confronts the scribes, those who were uh, the teachers of the Bible, the experts in the law, and the Pharisees as well, those who, who really had set themselves apart for one thing. It, they were the ones who really wanted to do what God's word said. Jesus rebukes them. Because the way they were doing it was completely backwards. Well, let's do this. Let's take a look at our passage. Grab your Bibles. Open to Luke chapter 11. We're going to pick up in the middle of the chapter around verse 37. And we're going to go through the end of the chapter at verse 54. So Luke chapter 11. When you find that, will you do this? Will you stand out of respect for the reading of God's word? I'll read it. You can follow along beginning in verse 37. We read, as he was speaking, this is Jesus who is talking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside, you are full of greed and evil, fools. Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees. You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without negating, neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them 
don't know it. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. He said, woe also to you, experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve of the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Woe, you experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. When he left there, the scribes and Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him, to trap him in something that he said. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you would grant us the grace this morning to hear you speak to us. God, that we would take to heart the things that you would say and that we would be receptive and responsive to you in them. God, help us to step back and to hear you speaking to us. Lord, give us the ability to see our lives from your perspective. And Lord, I pray that we would have the grace to agree with you and to allow you to work, to change us. Use this time, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So here's Jesus speaking to the crowd when one of the Pharisees, who you remember just moments ago, had been opposing him. And just in, in the earlier parts of chapter 11, the Pharisees had been giving Jesus no end of grief. And yet here, one of the Pharisees invites Jesus over for dinner. Jesus very graciously, verse 37, agrees to go and to recline at table with him. And so... Just so you remember, the, the Pharisees, they're the ones who, who, who were set apart as, as a distinct group for one reason and one reason only. They were really trying to do what God's word said. Yeah, it's easy for us, isn't it? As we read the New Testament to kind of see the Pharisees as those guys over there. They're the bad guys. They, they, you know, if it were a Western, they'd wear the black hats, right? But that, that's backwards. They were the white hats. They were the good guys. They were the ones who were saying, man, we want to take this seriously and we want to follow the law and we want to do this thing. And so here's this group and, and, and Jesus comes to, to eat dinner with one of them. And it says that when the Pharisee saw that he did not first perform a ritual washing before dinner, he was amazed, aghast, offended. Jesus didn't go through a ceremonial washing. Jesus didn't have filthy hands. He didn't come to the table with dirty hands. Sometimes, you know, we come to the table, we tell the kids, wash up for dinner, right? And then we sit down and we, and we do this thing where we hold hands for prayer. And sometimes, uh, I'm not gonna out my son, uh, but sometimes whoever's hand it is that I happen to be holding while we pray, after we get done praying, I get up to wash my hand again. 
and maybe a reminder is sent that everyone participating in this dinnertime ritual needs to wash before. But that isn't what this was. This wasn't about having literally filthy hands, but rather it was a ritual, a ceremony that the Pharisees would go through. It wasn't a part of God's law. Okay, this wasn't something that the Old Testament had commanded his people to do. It was something that the Pharisees did because, well, they looked at us and thought, man, this is, this is a great thing to, to make us pure, to make us righteous, to, to maybe even it started as a good thing to remind us of the fact that we need cleansing, but what it became was a replacement for actual attention to cleansing. And so they would perform this this ceremonial washing, they would take this established amount of water and they would do this both before the meal and then if it was like a big meal with multiple courses, they would actually do it again in between the courses of dinner. And so they'd take this special water, water that had been set apart for this purpose and they'd measure out a certain amount and and then they would follow a very, a very specific routine for rinsing their hands. And they were so into this, they were so convinced that this was something that was good that they believed that if you didn't do it, it was sin. Somewhere along the way, as so often happens, the light in them, that desire to do what was right, to, to please the Lord, it became darkness. It became about their rules and their, their things that they were pushing forward rather than what God had called his people to. And so Jesus begins to address it rather bluntly. Seeing his host offended, Jesus comforts him by saying, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools. Isn't this great dinner conversation? You ever have a family Thanksgiving like this? No tension. Everyone's just relaxed. And then boom, someone drops a bomb in the middle of the table. And there it is. Jesus says, do you ever think about the fact that the God who made the outside made the inside too? They were so focused on this outward washing that they ignored the fact that inside they were full of wickedness. And so Jesus points this out. He points out this, this whole dynamic that, that though they were so focused on it, so good at looking clean, keeping the outside of the cup clean, yet they were not nearly concerned enough about actually being clean, about the inside of the cup being clean. They could follow the ceremonies and the rules, and they looked really religious and righteous to men, but their hearts were twisted. Their hearts were twisted with evil and greed. That's a problem, isn't it? Don't you wish you could say that that was just back then and not today? Don't you wish you could say that that was just them and that's not something that we struggle with? You know, let's be honest, though. This is a struggle, isn't it? it? You and I, we can get far too caught up and comfortable with presenting a good appearance, right? You guys all look good today, by the way. I don't even smell any of you. I mean, in a bad way. Yeah, you know, it's, it, we dress up okay, right? We look good. We show up on Sunday morning and, you know, at least after you get out of the car, everyone's smiling. Everything's good. Oh, well, praise the Lord, brother. Good to see you. What is his name? You know, and, and, and she says back to you, I'm not telling you after what you said to me in the car. Bozo. Yeah. We are so good at presenting 
a good appearance on the outside. And yet there's some messiness inside, isn't there? There's some messiness that, that we're so uncomfortable with it. We're so concerned about how others see us, what they think about us, that we are prone to being fake, to living behind a facade, keeping people at an arm's length, not letting them in and, and to know the reality that we too struggle. You know, that works against us because without that encouragement and help and insight that, that comes from, from being real with each other, we end up all on our own. And our inner life becomes like a cluttered attic. You know, it's just dusty and cobwebbed and filled up with the junk that our blind spots and our prejudices keep us from seeing. You know, we all know people with glaring blind spots, don't we? I mean, everyone else has them. You ever see someone with just this blind spot and you're thinking, how do they not see that? How do they not realize that they're doing that? I will often tell the people close to me, please, when you see my blind spots, call it out, please. Please, because I can't see it. And, and if I'm stubborn, keep calling it out. Because I don't, I don't want to end up with my, my interior life being this, this cluttered attic full of junk that someone should have taken to the dump long ago. I, I need others close enough that I'm real enough with them that they see the stuff. I think we all need that. Well, Jesus says that God cares not only about the outward appearance, but about our hearts. Because God does care about the outward appearance, right? He does care how we, how we present ourselves. But what he cares about more is, is, is that inner thing, that, the reality of our hearts, not just keeping rules, but, but why we do it and how we do it. And so Jesus' response to the, to the Pharisees here, he says, listen, you're, you, you're keeping the inside dirty and the outside clean. The solution to that is to give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. What? What do you say, Jesus? I think they had to kind of stop and think about this for a minute because, you see, part of their religious act, part of the thing that they would do is they would give to the poor. It was a very common thing in that day for the poor to line up outside of the temple. They'd line up just outside of the entryways to the temple because as people were coming in to worship God, what would they do? They'd give to the poor and they'd make sure everyone saw them doing it. And they're, you know, they, it's like they're getting ready to meet with God. It's like, hey, God, God, did, he, did you notice? Huh? Yeah. So did, don't be too rough on me today, right? It's like, I, I know I had a bad week, but I am really giving generously to these poor. And they do it not only trying to manipulate God, trying to tell God, hey, I know, I know I'm in debt but I'm going to pay you off over here. But they do it for the sake of others too, right? To make sure that they saw. And what Jesus says is give to them from what is within. That's interesting. Your possessions are not what is within. Your wealth is not from what is within. Now, I don't think Jesus was saying quit giving them money. You know what I think he's saying here is love them. When you give, don't just, don't just give. Care about them. Be kind. It's easy, isn't it, to hold some kind of a superior or, or even a disdaining attitude towards someone as you give 
you don't deserve this, but. And you, maybe you're thinking, I would never do that. What about with your kids? Don't we do that with our kids sometimes? You know, you really don't deserve this, but. I, you know, it, how many times have I told my kids, you know, you're getting grace? Really? That's how grace is? It's labeled like that, huh? Interesting. Because, you know, so often God will say, you know you're getting grace that you don't deserve. That's what grace is. Ah, love them. Care about them. Give your heart. Look at verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees. You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herbs, all the cooking herbs that they would use. While you bypass, you just skip right over justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. The Pharisees tended to major on the minor issues. They made sure to generously give God a tenth of all their herbs, which would have amounted to next to nothing. All the while, they completely ignored the issues of justice and of love, the things that really would have been costly. They, they made a really big deal out of this little thing while they utterly ignored something that, that mattered to God greatly. And I really think there's, there, there's two dynamics that, that come into play with this that, that cause us to fall prey to this very same deception. We, we, we end up focusing on this minor issue, and there's really two reasons why we do that. You see, when like the Pharisees, we come to that place where we really want to please the Lord, we really want to do what's right. I mean, didn't we just sing that a minute ago? We sang about wanting to do what's right, to show the world. But what happens when, when we, we know what's right and then we try to do it? We mess up, don't we? We fall short far too often. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so one response to that, it's not the right response, but it's a response that I think we are often prone to, is when I, when I know what God wants me to do and I blow it, I find some little thing that I can do and I make a really big deal out of it for me. Because it hurts so bad to fail that I comfort myself by just obsessing with some minutia. It's like, well, I'm not a murderer. I haven't killed anybody yet. Came close a couple times, but they got better. You know, really, the bar's that low. Well, we find some little thing that, well, I haven't done this. This is, this is, this is a great thing on Valentine's Day. I remember a huge fight that my wife and I had when we were just a couple of years into marriage and we're remodeling a former drug house. I don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of things I cannot recommend from experience. So, but I remember, man, we just had this huge fight. And I got out of my truck and I backed out of the driveway, almost T-boned a guy. I was just so mad. And I remember so self-righteously telling God, well, I won't divorce her because I told you I wouldn't. And I back out of the driveway and I start down the road. And the Lord said, really? That's what you told me? Because I kind of remember some different vows. I don't know, God in my head is somewhat sarcastic at times. <laughs> I think that's more me, not him. But, you know, I don't remember much, but the Lord reminded me in that moment of what I did promise, to love and to cherish. So what was I doing? Oh, I'm going to take this really low bar over here. Well, God, I, I'm not going to do this. What a great guy. 
What an amazing man. She's so lucky to have me. Whew. All the while, I'm completely ignoring this enormous lack over here. We do this. We do it for ourselves, to comfort ourselves over our failure, but we do it as well to keep others from seeing. Man, we make a big deal about some little thing we do for the Lord. Make sure to point it out to everyone. Yeah, well, you know, I do serve the Lord in this way. <laughs> you know, I've been very faithful in serving him, doing blah, blah, blah for blah, blah, blah years. All the while, I've got this pile of stinking putrid sin over here that I don't want to deal with. It's sleight of hand. That's, that's all this is. It's just sleight of hand. It, it, it's, it, it's that, you know, the magician, I have a buddy who, I, I like calling him a magician because he's a Christian. He hates it when I do that. <laughs> he's an illusionist. He, he's a Christian illusionist. So I always ask him, how's your magic going? Yeah. <laughs> but he's so good at getting you to look at the wrong place at the right time. That's how it all works, all of it. I just get you to focus over here when you really ought to be watching over there. We will never fool God with that. We'll never fool God with that. Well, Jesus doesn't, doesn't stop there. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees, you, you love the front seat in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. Saying, man, you guys love going to the marketplace where everyone greets you respectfully. You love going to the synagogue where they put you in the front row and they treat you really nice. And, and, and you know, the Pharisees are no different than us. We like it when we're treated with respect, don't we? We love it when you show up somewhere and they're like, oh, you're here? Oh, that's awesome. Come, oh, come right on in. And someone really takes care of you and they bless you. Man, we soak that up, don't we? It, respect and deference are not a bad thing. It's a great way to bless someone. But man, we have a hard time not letting that go to our head. We have a tough time handling that, don't we? It's never something that we should be seeking after. And, and when it does come our way, I don't remember who, who said it, but we would be wise to treat it like perfume. A little goes a long ways. And too much perfume is not a good thing, right? Too much respect and deference, it, man, it goes right to the head. And, and, and if you're the one receiving it, you, you got to remember it's like perfume. It's good to sniff, but don't drink it in you'll find it to be poison. You know, we've got to be careful of hungering for that, pursuing after that, because that puts us in the center. That puts us there on the throne. Jesus keeps going. Verse 44, woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. Jesus often compares the Pharisees to graves. At one point, he talks about them being a marked grave, a whitewashed grave. Here he says, you're like an unmarked grave. So you're like a grave, basically, is what he's saying, one way or the other. Here he says, you're like an unmarked grave. The people who walk over you don't even know it. So the Old Testament law taught that if you touched a grave or a bone, that you would be unclean, you'd be considered unclean for seven days. So you couldn't go into the temple. There were certain things you wouldn't want to do while you were unclean. Um, but the Jews, not wanting to have that happen, not wanting to become unclean unnecessarily, they would take all their graves and they would paint them white. They'd paint them white so that you would see them and go, oh, wait, that's white. Don't touch it. Let, let's not walk across there, and that way we won't become unclean. But what Jesus says here is the Pharisees are like unmarked graves. They look good on the outside. It looks like they'd be safe to touch. But because inside they're putrid, 
They're like an unmarked grave. They look good on the outside, but they're dead inside. And those who follow their way will become unclean with them. So let's keep score a little bit. So far, Jesus has said to the Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You're obsessed with trivialities. And even though you look good, you're rotten to the core. And so sitting there is this expert in the law, a bright boy. Um, He's reflecting on all of this. And verse 45, he turns to Jesus and he says, yeah, I don't know if you realize this or not, Jesus, but these things that you're saying, they're insulting to us. Well, congratulations. Welcome to the party. Glad you're here with us. You know, glad you're paying attention. I like this guy. I mean, he's catching on. He's a little slow, but he's catching on. You notice Jesus doesn't even respond to it other than, other than, he says, yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to um, make this completely plain for this guy. Because he's been saying, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you Pharisees. And this scribe says, you do realize this is offensive to us too. Jesus then begins saying, woe to you scribes. Are you catching this yet? He's like, you've got to hear this. Jesus is saying, if you're not offended, you're not listening. You know, sometimes, sometimes we need to be offended. We need to hear things that offend us. Uh, We don't need to respond with offense, but we need to hear things that, that are uncomfortable, that we don't want to hear. And the loving thing is to speak them out. I always tell the story of doing this enormous funeral here years and years ago. And I get to the end of the funeral and I look down and my fly is wide open. It was a long funeral. This place was so full of people, it was ridiculous. We had to bring the family up through the fire escape because we couldn't get through the back. And I was wearing black pants and white Underwear. (laughs) Not that we want to think about that. But there's no way, there's no way that went unnoticed. Sometimes you have to speak offensive truth to someone if you love them. I trust better things of you. You'd tell me, right? So Jesus tells him, because he loves him. Verse 46, it says, Woe to you also, experts in the law. You load people up with burdens that are hard to carry. And yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. So here's the teachers of the law, the rabbis. These are the ones who are supposed to be helping the people come to know God. And Jesus says, here's what you're doing. Instead of helping people come to know God, you're just burdening them with rule after rule. These guys were interpreting the law, the Old Testament law, into literally thousands upon thousands of detailed rules. They covered every possible situation and circumstance. And and they made it impossible not only just to keep all of the rules, Uh, but even to keep track of all of the rules. They took just the singular command to not work on the Sabbath, and they turned it into 39, not 39 rules, 39 categories of different rules. They they prohibited all sorts of things, like, like tying a knot with a rope. Nope, that's work, can't do it. No tying a knot on the Sabbath or or walking more than a thousand yards beyond the edge of town. Can't do that, can't do that. Or having your temperature taken, that's a new one actually. The rabbis have come up with that recently with the whole COVID thing. You can't allow your temperature to be taken on the Sabbath. Um, Nor can you pick your nose on the Sabbath. I guess the other six days it's okay. 
but not on the Sabbath. And of course, all of these rules, they had innumerable loopholes. You know, you can't walk more than a thousand feet past the edge of the village unless, of course, there is a rope that is tied to your front door that extends beyond that. And then you can go a thousand feet from the end of the rope because that rope tied to your front door is part of your home. So you're really only going another thousand feet from your home, right? Or if the day before you pack a lunch and you bury it, then as you walk and you get to that spot and you're now a Sabbath day journey away, but you sit down on a rock and you eat that lunch. Well, wherever you eat your lunch is your home, right? Of course, you have to bury it there because you have to bring it the day before because you can't carry your lunch on the Sabbath. Nor can you draw water out of a well if you have to tie a knot to attach the bucket to the rope. But of course, you know, though you can't tie a knot on a rope, you can tie a knot in a woman's girdle. Why? I don't know, but you can. And so if that rope just happens to have a woman's girdle tied to the end of it, which it always seemed to be that way on the Sabbath day, you could just tie that woman's girdle to your bucket, lower it down, get the water, and bring the water up, and you have not done any work. Man, we like making rules. We like making exceptions to them too, don't we? But the end result was this. They were so focused on all the rules, they never came to know the one that they claimed they were keeping the rules for. What was the point of all the rules? It was to remove any hindrance for relationship between them and the God who made them. Now, sin's a problem, right? Sin does. It cuts us off from God. There is a reason we need righteousness. In order to be in relationship with God, there's got to be righteousness there. But, but when we become so rules-orientated, so rules-focused, the rules themselves end up becoming a barrier that keep us from God. Jesus keeps going. Verse 47, woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their monuments. And so in Jesus's day, the religious leaders were, were building these fancy uh, memorial tombs for the, the dead prophets from, from long, long ago. Prophets who by the way, had been murdered by the religious leaders of their own day, right? And so the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they're building tombs for the prophets who, who were murdered by their, their own predecessors many years before. And Jesus is saying, man, the only prophet you like are the dead prophets because they don't mess with you. They don't confront you on your sin. You love the dead prophets. They were great because they were preaching to somebody else. But anyone who actually confronts you on your sin, yeah, you're not so into that. You don't like that so well. So Jesus says, man, you're as guilty as your fathers were because any prophet who comes to you, now you reject them just like your fathers rejected the prophets that I sent to them. Living proof of that? Jesus and his disciples, right? They rejected the Messiah. They rejected the apostles. In fact, it, Jesus, it speaks almost like an aside here. Uh, Jesus makes these comments. He says, because of this wisdom of God has said, I will send them prophets and apostles or messengers, and some of them they will kill and persecute so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets since the foundation of the world. From the blood of Abel, Abel was the first one, remember him, to be murdered. And then in the order of books in the Hebrew Old Testament, Zechariah would have been the last one to be murdered who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. And yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Jesus probably here is speaking of the destruction of the temple. 
probably talking about the fact that, you know what? God's people have rejected God's message long enough. They've rejected his message from the beginning until now, and so now there is going to, there's going to come some accountability. God's people have always rejected God's message to them. That's been our most common response, has it not? Why? Because no one likes getting rebuked. None of us like that, right? The boss pulls you in at work. Why don't you close that door as you come in? Uh-oh. Right? Right? You know, it, someone pulls you aside and says, listen, I've got to talk to you about this. Uh-oh. No one likes those conversations. No one likes that experience. No one wants to be rebuked. We have a hard time, don't we, accepting a rebuke, receiving it. We don't like being called to account, especially by someone else. I mean, it'd be one thing if God would show up and do it himself. You know, maybe we'd be, our knees would be knocking together violently enough that we might actually receive it from him. Probably not, but we certainly don't like it when it comes from another human being, do we? It is so easy for us to react, to reject not only what they say, but don't we also often reject them? We reject the messenger along with the message. Isn't that what you want to do with me when I say something you don't like? I mean, maybe you don't like this right now, and you're like, get out of here. That guy, he drives me nuts. He's always saying, oh, Denver's, oh. Don't we do that, though? As soon as someone says something we don't like, oh, well, there, get him over there. In our day, more than ever, we are prone to reject contrary voices. We live in an age of choice, don't we? And it is so easy if we don't like what we hear someone saying to just change the channel, to unfriend them, to unfollow, to hit the mute button, and just to reject it and to instead begin to just surround ourselves with affirming opinions and to shut ourselves off from anyone that would, would oppose us or, or say something different. And even, even our search engines do that, right? You, you, you know this, right? When you go online and you search for something, they have algorithms as they track your different preferences and thoughts by, by the websites you've been to and that you go to. The results that they give you are shaped by that because they want you to agree with the results that they send you. They don't care whether you get the truth or not. All they care is that you stay in their environment, is that you stay on. And that is created, it is fed a tendency within us that is really unhealthy. And that is this tendency we have to reject a rebuke when it comes to us. Because we need it, don't we? We need, we need those who love us enough to speak the truth to us. Well, Jesus sums up here in verse 52. He says this, woe to you experts in the law. Here's what they've done. You have taken the key to knowledge. What's the key to knowledge? It's what the experts in the law had, the word of God. You've taken the word of God. You didn't go in yourself. You didn't use it to come to know the Lord yourself. And you even hindered those who were trying to get in. They had taken God's word instead of helping people to understand it and understand who God is and, and what it is that he calls us to and by it to come to know God himself. Instead, they had used it to construct a mountainous barrier of rules and regulations. Even though God's word was in their hands. And man, what a privileged day we live in. I don't think we can even understand it. You, you got to remember, it, it wasn't that long ago that none of us would have had Bibles. Maybe we would have had one Bible amongst us. 
And we, you would have come here to hear what the word of God was. But now today we all have God's word in our hands. What a privilege that is for us. And so here they had God's word in their hands. And instead of helping others to understand it, instead of revealing to others who God was, they used the Bible, they used the Old Testament law instead to make a barrier of rules to keep people away. And so when Jesus came and he knocked down their barrier, look at verse 53. This was how they responded. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely, to cross-examine him about many things, and they were lying in wait for him to trap him in something he said. So they opposed Jesus. They opposed God's Messiah. They chose rules and legalism over grace. We do that too sometimes. You know, I think as, as we look at all that Jesus said to these scribes and their fair, these Pharisees and warning the people not to let the light within them become darkness and warning them against the way that the, the scribes and the Pharisees responded to everything, I think we can see a, a couple of things that that he points us to that are safeguards against it. I, I think one is clearly grace. It's grace versus legalism. So, so grace is this. Grace is undeserved forgiveness, right? That brings us into a relationship with God so that our living can then be transformed. So grace is given undeserved but it transforms us. When we are brought into relationship with God, that's when we are changed and we are made new and our living is transformed by that relationship, that connection we have with the Lord. Legalism, it gets it all upside down. It gets everything backwards. Legalism says, here are the rules. Here are the things that you must obey in order to be found worthy before God. So you must transform your living in order to enter into relationship with God. And the problem with that is you'll never get there. You'll, you'll never get to that place because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We come only by grace. That's the only workable solution to the problem of sin. I can know what's right, but I can't do it. But when I receive the grace and the cleansing of forgiveness, as I submit myself to the Lord, and I am welcomed in, I am cleansed by him, I am forgiven by him, and I enter into relationship with him, there is a transforming work that begins to go on that then transforms my living. See, the, the reason the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they got everything so backwards was they were trying to, trying to do this via legalism rather than via grace. And don't fool yourself. Grace is not entirely a New Testament concept. Grace is in the Old Testament too. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right? For every believer, Everyone who deserved death, who deserved condemnation. And God lets you bring this poor little lamb, this cute little lammy to the altar, and it dies in your place? That's not justice. It's grace. It's pointing forward. It's, it's just a big, fat, blinking arrow that points to the cross, to the Savior who dies in our place. The other thing that I think is a safeguard for us that we would not fall into the trap that the Pharisees and the scribes fell into is transparency. It's true fellowship. It's being connected with each other enough 
that you get past the facades. It's getting to the place where you can see not only the outside of the club, cup that looks clean, um, but where you can see the inside that maybe is not quite as tidy as the outside. It's a choice to begin living without a facade, to being real, being open, being willing to say, you know what, will you pray for me? I am a mess. You know what? I'll be honest, right, right now, I want you to pray for me because I'm really struggling. Or right now, I, I, I just I need you to walk with me because, to be honest, I don't even want to do what's right. So I, I need some accountability. I need someone who's going to ask me because I'm an idiot. And, and, and being real enough with each other to enter into the journey, to walk with each other, to encourage each other along. You know, it's, it's just that whole picture of the body being what the body was meant to be. The body of Christ is not an issue of attendance. It's an issue of connection. And allowing others in. Being willing to speak the truth in love and being willing to hear the truth. Man, that's what we need. We don't want to become like this. We don't want to fall prey to these things. That That's the downhill route, right? That's where gravity is going to take us. If we want to avoid it, we're going to have to really embrace these things that God has given us that will keep us from it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for this time. And I, I God, I, I just ask for, for us that you would work here amongst us within this body, within us as individuals. God, keep us from becoming rule-orientated, legalist. God, we, we do, we want to be righteous. We want to live right. We want sin out of our life. We, we want to be a witness to the world. We want our lives to declare your goodness. But, Lord, that's going to have to happen by your grace and your cleansing and the transformational work that only you can do within us. And, Lord, I know that you choose to use your body in that as well. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to connect. I pray that you would give us the courage to be real, to be transparent, to love each other enough to speak truth and to hear it. And, Lord, together, by the work of your Spirit, Transform us, change us, work in our midst. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.